welcome to this edition of the Kids Ministry Collective Podcast, where we talk about topics and resources that help you lead more to reach more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this edition of the Kids Ministry Collective Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Kids Ministry Collective Podcast. My name is Tom Bump, and I'm your host. Thanks for joining me, my friends. I'm blessed that you would take time to listen to this podcast, or actually you might be even watching the video of this one because we're going to put out the recording of this as well. Uh, so you can see some things that Matt's going to share with you in just a minute. But over the past few weeks, I've been digging into the latest research from Barna about children's ministry. Uh, the research was called Children's Ministry in a New Reality. And it was a report that was commissioned by Barna and Awana together in a partnership. And Awana has been a ministry that's been near and dear to my heart. Uh, I grew up in churches that used Awana, uh, was an Awana clubber myself, even back in the day when the, the uniforms were gray and the scarves were red and <laughs> all of that. Um, and I loved it. I loved, I looked forward to, to Wednesday nights, going to Awana, hanging out with my friends, we had some phenomenal leaders growing up that loved us and cared about us who did all sorts of extra things. Um, we, we, we did campouts. We, it was almost, it almost was a scout troop for us because we had some guy leaders that just really poured into us young boys and wanted us to grow up to be young men of God. And I'm so grateful for them in my life. And I'm thankful for the Awana ministry and all that, that it has done all over the world. But this episode I'm really excited about because this is a brand new report that is just, I think, going to start and needs to start some very solid all staff conversations, not just children's ministry. I'm hoping that church staffs will get into this report and dig through it because it does impact the entire church. So I'm really honored and privileged to have my friend and the president and CEO of Oana, Matt Markins, on back on the podcast. You've been on a long time ago, but welcome back to the podcast, Mark. Hey, Tom. Good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you. Um, thanks for being here and thanks for sharing this report with me. And and man, it it's there were some days where I, I, I'm going away and my brain is just hurting and I'm like, oh boy, because I'm not a, a super analytical person and I was drowning a little bit, but boy, there's a lot of meat here um, and we're only going to scratch the surface in this. So we'll make sure we put a link to how they can get it in the show notes. But um, you know, the routine when we do the podcast, we are always asking kind of a why question. And I'm just curious, What's the Awana why? What what was the why behind this research? What was the goal for for doing something like this? Well, as an organization, uh, we uh, work with sixty six thousand churches around the world, about seven thousand or so in the United States, um, and then we're we're engaging five million children each week in one hundred thirty three countries, and so we we capture a lot of data. But like you, right? We read this book. This is our foundation. This is the Bible. And what do we get out of the book of Proverbs? What are we seeing happening in the book of Proverbs? We're seeing that it's about wisdom because wisdom is learning. And when you mm -hmm. learn something and you're asking yourself, what's the key insight here? You can apply that to your life and the way you live. You know, we're, we're given the example in Proverbs, like you can be a fool. You can make these wrong decisions that are going to lead to negative consequences, or you can learn and apply that and live a life of wisdom. The, the Sermon on the Mount is like wisdom being unpacked. We're seeing Jesus mm -hmm. say, this is the best way to live. So as an organization, uh, we've been asking the question for a long, long time now, uh, the single question, 
what is it the local church does that leads to lasting faith in kids? So over since 2013, uh, we're actually in the middle of our eighth project. This is our, this is like the, wow. the last decade of research that we've conducted. This represents uh, about six or seven of those key projects. Again, we're in the eighth one right now. And when we brought all of that to the Barna Group, which is summarized, by the way, in chapter 10 of our book, Resilient, uh, but all, we brought all that research to the Barna Group and the Barna Group said, wow, you guys have done a really good job of substantiating your claims. We think we can really stand on top of this work to do the research project you're asking us to do, which to your point uh, is packaged here in children's ministry uh, in a new reality. And so wh why do we do that? We're continuing to drill down in pursuit of answering the question, what is it the church does that leads to lasting faith? And I think that's important. Because yes. we, in children's ministry, we're kind of tasked with helping to grow the church because children's ministry, what? It brings families in from the community. So although it is a true legitimate standalone ministry, it's also a driver of church growth. Mm -hmm. And I think children's ministry, unfortunately, has been a tool to help answer the question, what do we need to do to grow our church? Which is a good question, but it's not the best question. So the best question would be, what do we do to grow lasting faith in people? Uh, perhaps that's a much better question that churches could be asking. It definitely is a better question to be asked. And, and so we're going to dig into some of that and, yeah. and some of the questions that, that we should be asking. But I'm curious, when you got this report, was there anything that jumped out at you right away that was like, wow, okay, I, I, you know, I was surprised by this? Sure. So what we're going to do in this podcast for those watching the video is we're going to be sharing the screen quite a bit. So we'll go back and forth uh, between that. So for those watching video, uh, we're looking here at uh, a slide here that's asking, you know, children's ministry leaders, essentially they're saying it's they're saying they're far from thriving. So we, we asked the Barnard group asked the question personally, how satisfied are you with each of the following? vocation as a children's ministry leader, my own spiritual health and well-being, and work-life balance. And for those of you watching the visual, like it's really on the low end. For, how satisfied are you with your vocational ministry? 26%. My own spiritual well-being? 19%. Work-life balance? 15%. Wow. So, so we as a community, we are far from thriving. But let me, let me go a little deeper right here. Uh, also, compared to churchgoers, ministry leaders are half as likely to feel like the church, its leaders, and services for children are influential on our child's development. Again, for those of you who have the visual, look at the far left. The areas that scored higher by both ministry leaders and churchgoers would be like, hey, we believe parents and guardians are influential. We believe parents are influential on social media. But look over to the far right in the blue bars. The church church leaders, and church services for children, we are saying as a children's ministry community that we don't think these areas are really all that influential on children. So that, that's an admission from us as a community. It's like, it's like we're looking at our toolboxes and we're going, wow, I don't feel like I have very many tools in my toolbox to do the job. Mm. Yeah, those those numbers in the teens are pretty staggering when you see that 17, 15, 15. That's totally. that's quite uh, amazing to me that that leaders are struggling in this way, which 
which again, I think for me, one of the things that I, and I told you this off air that surprised me, I didn't realize was going to be in the report was just talking about how overwhelmed leaders are and how they're struggling. I mean, we know that just by watching and listening to the Facebook groups and seeing that people are struggling with all of these things, but to see it statistically in research um, makes it really come alive that there are a lot of leaders out there listening to this mm-hmm. uh, podcast that are are hurting and are struggling with not just the life balance stuff, but even their effectiveness of, of yeah. is what I'm doing really matter? Is it making a difference? And especially when you see the statistics of kids walking away from the church later on, um, they're feeling very responsible for that. And, and yeah. so, um, you know, when it, go ahead. No, I just, oh. I was just echoing what you're saying that like, like that, that empathy that's, that's being welling up in our heart that we heard what you said in the research and our hearts are, are going out to you. And the good news is also in the research are insights for how to move forward. But before we go there, just acknowledging like, like, like pe- people are hurting, people are frustrated and people feel like what we're doing is really not moving the needle. And, and we heard that. Yeah. So when it, when it comes to specific discipleship, you know, a lot of leaders, like we said, are, are struggling with, with this and, and they're wrestling with the, 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 are they being effective? Any, any reason why you think that is, why, why they feel like they're just not being as effective? Yeah, I'm going to share my screen again, but I'll, I'll talk in highly visual, imaginative terms for those who are listening, uh, maybe audio only. Yeah, we think it's because the research is pointing to the fact that we're using old maps. Mm. We are using old maps. So let's use maps as a metaphor. Uh, so for those of us, uh, you know, we, we look at maps through a generational lens. Like if you're a baby boomer, you have more perspective on the historical development of mapping technology than perhaps a Gen Zer would. Because if you're a Gen Zer, you were, you were born in kind of the, the front end of the digital revolution and you remember digital mapping. Is this about the only thing we can remember? Yeah, that's a baby boomer. Uh, baby boomers r- remember the Rand McNally. The Rand yes. McNally map was so big, right? Uh, yes, it was huge. <laughs> when you open that thing up in the front seat, you know, if mom's in the passenger seat, open. Dad couldn't see out the window to drive. It was so massive. Uh-huh. And then uh, in 1989, the Garmin was yes. invented. The Garmin was the first kind of portable. Uh, mobile GPS device. Uh, perhaps some of your baby boomer parents use those. Um, and then in 19, oh, you had one. Yeah, yeah. I had one. <laughs> then 1997, Maps Quest. This this beautiful website is is in existence, and that was just about the time I was beginning my ministry. And I tried a traveling ministry job uh, back in that time period. And I remember if I was going from Nashville to Knoxville uh, to Charlotte to Atlanta and then back to Nashville, I could print out. Each and every leg of that trip, and I'd have a file for each one. It's like I had a filing cabinet in the back of my car, you know. And then, and then, come 2012, we've got Apple Maps and Google Maps and Waze. But this last year, I, I came across uh, another map. And for those of you listening to audio only, uh, wow. this is a, this is a, this is a map created by the Italians from the 1500s. So Katie and I are on vacation. We're visiting the Catholic missions in San Antonio, and we come across this particular room in one of the missions that has this map you're seeing here in the visuals blown up to where it's about 10 feet wide and about six or eight feet tall, massively huge. And I'm thinking to myself, Tom, I don't know if you've ever seen a piece of art or a movie or heard a piece of poetry, and it just like speaks to you. It just draws you in. And I see this map and I'm like, wow, something is pulling me into this. 
And here's what I think, Tom. I think if we could bring these map makers back from the dead, like we're in children's ministry, we like to use our imagination. So if we could, if we could bring them back from the dead and put them on the Zoom call, what would we say to them? I think we would say, I think I think we would say thank you. Like with limited with limited mm-hmm. technology, I mean this is a well-funded project, sure, to be sure, but with limited technology, limited visibility and mobility, and compared to today, you know, they did a great job. What we would not say is y'all are a bunch of idiots. You know, we wouldn't put it side by side with the Google Maps images of today and compare it to reality and say, you guys were wrong. You were off. No, we would never do that. We would lead with gratitude. But here's the thing. If our educators of today's children were still using this map to, to teach geography and boundaries and navigation, we would be outraged. We would say, what are you doing? You're using outdated information. We have so much more information available to us today. As it relates to children's ministry, we have the, this is the problem that we have. We have Mm. more information now than we did when today's map of children's ministry was created. So, so why is everyone frustrated? Why is everyone looking at their toolbox feeling like I have so few tools available? The ministry models we're using now were developed in the eighties and nineties that were packaged in books that were published in the early 2000s, pre-iPhone. So we have more information now about mental health uh, in our post-2007 iPhone world uh, that that we know the impact of uh, mobile technology. We have more information about entertainment and edutainment, and we have more information about the primary factors that Mm -hmm. lead to long-term discipleship fruit and kids. So, so why are we so frustrated? We're frustrated because we're using old maps in a new world. Wow. That's true. I I can feel that. And, and I resonate with, I mean, yeah, I'm sitting there. I was even, I was thinking, man, we even used to, we joined triple a just so we could get the trip ticks you know, yeah. the flip map, you know, we, we, we moved from Ram McNally. We thought we were really upgrading <laughs> when we traveled because we got those where they put the maps together for us in those little books. And man, we get down to the end and I mean, they would highlight stuff. I mean, I'm like, Holy, I mean, that was the ways of the day. I mean, they would literally put on there. Well, we know there's construction and they'd highlight it and warn us. And sometimes they would even outline a secondary route. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, when here we are doing children's ministry, where we see all these things. And, and I mean, honestly, I think sometimes that's where some of the overwhelm comes in for some people is because there is so much. Absolutely. And you're, you're here to interview me, but I'd love to ask you a question. You, you said something just before we started the podcast about a leader who said to you, I wish we could go back to, could, could you explain like what it was yeah. that you said in that conversation? To, to go back, go back, to go forward. Yeah, we were having the conversation because because of of some of this research that I was sharing with her about the fact of how discipleship happens in 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 relationship and how powerful that is. And I said, you know, back in the day, um, you know, it was one leader in a room full of you know six to eight, ten kids, you know, teaching the Bible from the Bible um, and exploring. And and as we were discussing, she made the comment about you know I think for us to be effective today, we need to go backwards and we need to take some of the things that worked super well in creating discipleship because there was a strong generation there. We saw that missionary generation, you know, that came out uh, of the sixties and seventies and early eighties. 
And, and why was that? Well, because these kids grew up handling the word of God, seeing the world as a, as a world in need of Jesus and saying, I want to go make a difference. And the only hope is Jesus. And so going backwards to then go forward into saying, what, what that, what's that new model? Because in this pandemic, we're, we're trying to rush back to what we did pre-pandemic rather than saying, what's new ahead of us? What, yeah. what, where could we go? And so she said, I just think sometimes we need to go backwards to go forward into, into this new thing of that God wants to work in. I think there's something there because we talk about going from the old map, which we just kind of articulated a little bit, the old map to the new map. But the, the thing about the new map is that it has echoes from an ancient map, right? So yes. that's just, it's, it's so, so I, I think she, the way she articulated that is absolutely correct. We, we are mm-hmm. still using an old map of children's ministry based on 1980s and 1990s assumptions, and we do need to move to a new map, but the new map has uh, direct connections to the ancient map. Yes. So when it comes down to, to creating, and, and I love the book Resilient, um, which again, we'll put a link in the show notes for that. If you guys haven't read Resilient, you need to get that book too. Uh, for sure. But what do you think is vital when it comes to helping children become resilient disciples? If we're going to stem this, this seeming tide of, of children struggling and walking away from their faith um, later in life, which honestly, I don't think it's, I don't think they're walking away. Honestly, maybe you can tell me this too. I don't see that kids are walking away in their teen, you know, when they're graduating, I think it's happening way sooner. I think they just can't, physically check out. Um, but we're losing this generation sometimes, I think in the third, fourth, fifth grade, um, because we haven't taught them and and let them wrestle with their faith and become resilient there. So by the time when they have their driver's license, that's when they're like physically checking out of the building, um, and, and, and going forward there. But, um, your thoughts on how do we create that resiliency and, and what's key and how do we define it even? Um, because I think some people even struggle when you, I know when I've put it out in Facebook groups, how do you define what a disciple looks like? The answers are all over the spectrum. Yep. Yeah. There's, there's so much I'd love to, you got two or three big things there. So you <laughs> might, you might camp out for a while here. That's fine. So, we can uh, do that. I'm going to share my screen again here in a moment, but, but, but before I do, before I lose this visual right here, the, these these six or seven projects I'm holding here in my hand are in pursuit of answering that question. What is it the local church does that leads to lasting faith in children? Awana is very much known for our Awana clubs, which you shared a little bit about earlier from your historical perspective. That ministry is still in existence, but we also have a, a Sunday program called Bright and direct to parent ministry called Talk About. And then we have a whole training ecosystem that we built which includes a child discipleship forum. But so all of that research has gone into um, helping answer the question, what is it the local church does at least a lasting faith? So I'm going to, I'm going to again, answer or uh, share my screen here. Tom, it used to be when you and I were growing up uh, that there were certain, like, this is a timeline of humanity, right? From birth to death. And if if the circle in the middle represents the, the cultural issues of the day, it used to be that these issues only impacted adults, but kids were kind of sheltered from them. But we're mm-hmm. now living in a world where these issues also are impacting and shaping and forming children. So it's not a matter of 
you know, are our kids being discipled? It's a matter of whom or what is shaping and discipling them. Think of it as like the smoking section in the restaurant in the eighties. Like the smoking <laughs> section is a lie. Like the whole restaurant is the smoking yes. section. The smoke just drifts over. That's what's happening here with today's kids. So you said something about essentially that deadline is actually earlier than we thought. We yeah. think of the deadline of, of getting our kids discipled as being at age 18 when they graduate high school. But we've all seen the Barna research that says that, you know, 64% are dropping out after high school. You could call that the church's canary in the coal mine. Uh, mm-hmm. So for those of you who know the canary in the coal mine, or if you don't know the canary in the coal mine metaphor, our great, great grandfathers who would do hard manual labor, they would go down into the earth to mine coal. They would take with them a canary in a, in a cage uh, because that canary is highly sensitive to the deadly gases. And right. if there were a deadly gas present, that poor canary would fall over and die, right? So so let's you could say that the canary in the coal mine of the church is is high school students leaving the church after graduation, right? right. So but the Barna group has this particular research that says, hang on a minute. It says a person's worldview is primarily shaped and firmly in place by the time someone reaches the age of 13. Mm-hmm. So here we are thinking that that deadline is age 18, but it's actually much earlier. So the yes. point of the canary in the coal mine isn't the moment the canary dies. It's what deadly gas is leading to that death and where's it coming from? Like we got to find that and identify it and how's it shaping us? So the, the deadline's not age 18, it's age 13. Well, who is today's 13 year old? Today's 13 year old is someone uh, who just entered into the middle school youth group, right? And mm-hmm. three, a few years before that, they were age eight, right in the middle of our children's ministry. So if the deadline's not at age 18, it's actually at age 13. The conversation we have before us in the church today is a child discipleship conversation. How do we form them as a disciple prior to age 13? So what the Barnard Group is, fine, is trying to say here and, and this is in this book that you were referring to, Children's Ministry yeah. New Reality, is that we're up against a deadline and it's earlier than we thought. So let's talk about let's talk about some of these primary factors that lead to lasting faith. And how did we arrive at them? So we arrived at our definition of discipleship, which I'll read in a minute. We arrived at these these four ways. You know, we started by observing how Jesus made disciples in the gospel. So I challenge you, friends, like read through the gospels with the sole intent of just asking yourself, Hey, what behaviors do I see Jesus doing that, 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 that would be described as discipleship, you know? And so we just started scouring the gospels as an organization looking for like, okay, what's he doing? What are the key themes? What are the irreducible minimum types of behaviors we see Jesus doing in the gospel? Second thing was that we have 72 years of impact as an organization. We get letters and testimonies uh, from churches and missionaries in 133 countries. Uh, at, at the time, it was six research projects. We're now, we're now up to eight research projects. One of them in, is the one from the Barnard Group. And then we collected research from Lifeway, Fuller Youth Institute, Christian Smith. By the way, Christian Smith has a brand new book right here that is super good um, called Handing Down the Faith. I highly recommend mm-hmm. that. Uh, that's a really good book. And then we collected all this research and we 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 compiled it all together. And we're, we're looking for like, what are the irreducible minimum themes? And we found three themes and I'll read it here uh, in the definition. It's this. We, were, we, we define child discipleship as resilient child discipleship is designed to form lasting faith 
by helping kids belong to God and his kingdom, believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and become like Jesus and walk in his ways through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'll read that one more time. Yeah. So what is child discipleship? Child discipleship is designed to form lasting faith. How? By helping kids belong to God and his kingdom, believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and become like Jesus and walk in his ways through the power of the Holy Spirit. So you see three primary components there. What's the goal? If, if we're playing darts here, Tom, the center of that bullseye is lasting faith. Uh, yeah. What we're all after is lasting faith in church. We want to see kids. When, when these kids who are 10 years old now, when they're 35, we want to run into them at the store, seeing them pushing the stroller. And they're like, oh my gosh, I'm still in church today. I'm thriving in my faith. I'm loving the Lord. I'm making yes. an impact. That's what we want to see. So that's the center of the target. So what are the three primary components there? Actually, I'll, I'll toss up uh, one more image here uh, that just kind of shows all of it working together. Uh, I think I think the image that we're looking at is this right here, which is all three of these factors combined are shaping identity. Belonging, mm. which is highly relational, believe is deeply scriptural, and become is truly experiential. So we're looking at highly relational deeply scriptural and truly experiential. Uh, those are really the three areas that most research shows that leads to lasting faith in children. And it's what we're seeing Jesus doing in the, in the gospels. Yes. And that's the focus. I mean, that's, that's where we, we need to aim at. And, and I think, you know, there's a lot of leaders that, that just feel stuck sometimes though. And, and they're, they're, they're struggling with this thing. And I think that was one of the things that, that, I was surprised at was the, the research talking about, you know, parents and, and kids and, and then this effectiveness idea. And I'm wondering, you know, with this research, it's helping us measure, but how, how can church leaders measure their effectiveness? Um, and because I think, you know, I think we're finally moving away from attendance. <laughs> I think, I think even senior leadership realizes that's not a good barometer for yeah. church health. Um, so how do, how do we measure that and what are some things that they can do? We, we can get it so we can get it right. Um, you know, and not put emphasis on the wrong things. Yeah. Well, you know, again, when we, when we publish resilient in chapter eight, we kind of talk about this idea of what, what do we know and what do we not know? Like children's ministry leaders we hear what we do know is that the kids are having fun. We know attendance, we know who came, and we know that they appear to be learning. Like we know there's some level of learning, we're having a ton of fun, and we know the attendance. Apart from that, as a children's ministry community, we've kind of confessed that we don't really know a lot else. Well, what's unfortunate is like when I just, I both of my boys are now in college, and when we're, when we're search, searching for colleges, those colleges that we visited were able to tell us graduation rate, job placement. Uh, what's the average GPA per program? Like there's so much data they could give us on the impact of what they do. Here we are in children's ministry, I think doing the most impactful world on the planet. And we don't have any of that. And so what, what we've done, Tom, is we took this work uh, in children's ministry in a new reality. And we partnered not only with Barna, but there's an organization you may or may not be familiar with called Glue, G-L-O-O. So Awana, Barna, and Glue have partnered together to develop an assessment where you and your children's ministry can evaluate those three areas. Now, now our, our branding is belong, believe, become. You might not like that branding, but you can replace those words with relationships, 
scripture engagement and experiences. So we could drill into what we do in this assessment mm -hmm. is the assessment measures kind of the back end responses from what's happening under several key markers under relationships. Are we a highly relational community? Do kids feel like they have a loving, caring adult who knows them? And then we could dig into the scripture engagement. There's a variety of key markers that we're measuring there. Are we using the Bible light strategy and teaching moralism or legalism? Or are we <laughs> teaching the gospel? Like that's a, so we're trying to really help you measure that. Yes. And then thirdly, an experience is, it, th th there's a handful of things there. It measures, it, it's trying to help us understand like, are we giving kids ways to, to learn experientially? Are we helping them to experience the presence of God? Sometimes our ministries are so, we're moving so fast. We don't slow yeah. down and try to help kids understand that. And are we helping them experience the practices of a Christ follower? And are we teaching and modeling that for them? So, so this assessment by Barna and Glue and Awana will help you and your, your church congregation and children's ministry team to take that and to benchmark, okay, where are we? And then maybe a second year, take it again and ask yourself in the third year, are we moving the needle? Are we becoming more we fruitful at the gospel? Man, I, I'm so glad you guys came up with that. And I say thank you on behalf of all the kids ministry workers, um, because I think that will help with some of the overwhelm that they're feeling and this feeling of being inadequate and struggling so hard. Um, like I said, there that that was the chapter that kind of caught me off guard because that's the world I'm I'm living in right now is with with trying to help so many leaders that are struggling. Yeah. That this is a tool that can take some of the pressure off to say, okay, hey, look, but but not to use it in you know to, to beat themselves up, but to say, look again, here's hope, here's where we are, and yeah. let's move, let's start taking one thing and let's start moving it forward. I think that's powerful. Um, so yeah, we'll make sure we put a link to that in the show notes as well. Cause I want leaders to, to take that assessment and to use it. Um, you know, they, they say that counselor, like therapists, psychologists, and counselors, they say that they don't measure each patient against the measure pay you you measure right. each patient against their own capacity to learn and grow. So as yes. children's ministry leaders and as churches, we, we just need to like, identify where are we on the map, whether that's good or bad, just let's just figure out where we are. So this assessment helps you understand, okay, we're here. Yes. So here's our reality. Here's what the data would tell us. And then you can say, okay, we'd like to be here. So over the course of the next year, here's one or two things we're going to work on to kind of move that needle. Then we can reevaluate again. What it does is it, it's, it's like breaking the marathon down into, you know, one mile, two mile, three mile yes. stretches. And it just takes the overwhelm down. And I think it would also give us better conversations with our past, our senior pastors and senior leaders to help them understand how we can move from, hey, let's get more kids, which is always good, by the way, to how mm -hmm. do we grow lasting faith in kids? Yes. Yes. And and I so I think for, for younger leaders or more seasoned leaders, this would be a great thing to do uh, and, and to work with your teams on. Yeah, uh, to, to just walk through this and, and start building again. I think we, because we, we have to ask the right questions post pandemic, we have to start asking some new questions post pandemic um, because this is really the new now it's not, not normal. It's I, I hate yeah. that phrase new now. I like the new now, the new normal, because just nothing's normal. No. Uh, <laughs> so you know, one of the things that I did notice that statistically there was a there was a disconnect between this whole idea about being the primary faith givers, you know, um, and and there has become a 
Unfortunately, I, I feel like there's some cynicism in the children's ministry leadership side towards parents because we feel like they're not doing, you know, the job that they could be doing and they're not taking everything we're offering or, or whatever. And, and parents, though, are looking back at the church going, hey, we need you. Uh, we need strong leadership here. We need you to tackle a step into some of these messy topics and, and some of the hard conversations. Yeah. And a lot of parents just don't know how to do it anyway. Yep. And, and so when it comes to connecting and engaging parents, what, what needs to change or what do leaders need to be thinking through that just, I think they're stuck because they're like, I don't know how to engage parents. I don't really know how to connect this. Um, I'm throwing resources at them. They're not using the resources. I'm getting frustrated. You know, how do, how do, we, how do we bridge that gap? And what can we do to change that and start moving it in a healthier direction? So uh, you, Tom, you've been, you and I have uh, the privilege of being around long enough, which means we're old, but we have the seasoned. privilege. Seasoned. We're seasoned. <laughs> we, we've had the privilege of being around long enough. We remember in 2003 when George Barna's book came out, Transforming Children to Spiritual Champions, yes. is when we finally had dated a point to that said parents are the primary disciples of the kids. They have the most influence. I mean, I was I was in children's ministry at that time. You could feel the energy like like it was as if oh, we yeah. all had pulled out our swords and said, charge the hill. Finally, oh. someone who's you know, on our side. And, and it was repackaged in George Barnes yes. book, Revolutionary Parenting. Right. And so so children's ministry adopted that soundbite, which, by the way, I think is theologically true, like like parents have the most amount of time, you know, mm -hmm. uh, D6 says one over 168, orange does the whole, uh, you have the, the orange balls, et cetera. You yep. have so many hours in the day. So, so we, what we did is we grabbed the sound bites, but I don't know that we got to the point of transforming the model to where it actually moved the needle. So let me show some data that I think would be, would be helpful. Mm. Again, this is what we did together with the Barna group. So let's look at this. Uh, we call this the stalemate. Imagine if you're listening to audio only, imagine a face-off between the family and the church, right? So this a stalemate is occurring. So we ask the question, you know, where should pri discipleship primarily occur? And among children's ministry leaders, it isn't a yes, it is a heck yes. Like it is like, the answer is 95% say it should occur at home. Like it right. is, it is an emphatic at home. And then, then when you look at parents and then non-parents, which you would call congregants, people who attend the church, maybe their aunts and uncles or grandmas and grandpas, but they're not necessarily the parents. It's pretty much split. You know, it's, it's almost a half and half type scenario. So here you have a congregation that collectively believes there's a shared responsibility in primarily, think about that, a shared responsibility in primarily who's discipling the kids, but among church leaders, it's just straight up parents. And so we, we have two, two groups of people, the congregation of parents, and then they're facing the church and they're not seeing eye to eye on who mm -hmm. leads discipleship. And I, I think, I think we clearly do have a stalemate happening. So, so I, I think children's ministry now has some data to say, okay, Hey, we had, we grabbed the soundbite for the last 20 years, parents are the primary uh, disciples of the kids, but how do we actually move it to transformation? And I, I think um, we we've got to have a newer conversation. Num number one, how do we get 
out of a stalemate, which by the way, how do you get out of a stalemate? When, when you're in a stalemate situation, someone has to lead out of it and negotiate out of it. And so is that theologically, do we see Paul saying that parents are leading the church or is it the church job to disciple the saints and the parent? Well, the church is the God's local entity. Yep. So if there's a stalemate and we're stuck, it's the church's job to right. negotiate just, through. Yeah. So I, I think we're in a situation where it's like, oh my gosh, it's our responsibility to get out of this. So the question then becomes, how do we get out of it? And I, I think, I think when we, when, if you have a chance to read the whole book, the way that we get out of it is we develop a, a we cultivate community in our congregation where kids are known by a broader community. Mm-hmm. So imagine if you're a parent. And you draw a picture, put a little stick figure child in the middle, and then draw an oval around your child. Put about five or eight X's around that oval that represent the team you're going to build around your child to help disciple your child. So if I'm a children's ministry leader, I'm going to coach my parents to do this. I'm going to say, hey, get out a sheet of paper. Who are the who are the three, five, or eight people you can surround each one of your kids with? And yes. you as a parent, you can only give them so much. Even if you're like, even if you're like a DTS seminary grad parent, <laughs> you're still limited in what you can do to disciple your, you don't have everything your right. child needs. They need other people to come around them. So the way we get out of the stalemate is we have to teach our congregations how to cultivate community. And then the second piece is we have to actually equip our congregation in how to have conversations with our kids. So I think we've we latched onto the soundbite, but we didn't move to community and equipping. And so I think with equipping, Tom, we've got to use some of our primary weekend time to do that equipping. Like we're so used to running the children's ministry or having a sermon with 100 or 10,000 people in the room. But what if we found ways to use some of that primary Sunday time to do some of the hands-on equipping that would disrupt what we're doing a little bit? Having said that, if we don't do this, how, how are we actually going to get parents equipped? We've got to figure out how to use Sunday or our primary times to do equipping, or it's just simply not going to happen in the home. Oh, man. Wow. <laughs> that was so true. You know, I asked I asked um, Larry Fowler when I saw him at D6, Yeah. because um, I said to him, I, did, I just had a conversation with a, a leader that I was coaching and we were talking about getting more volunteers because obviously a lot of every leader is struggling to get volunteers back in the, in the rooms again and and that kind of thing. And and I said to him, you know, have you checked? I asked this leader I was coaching, have you looked at the senior seniors in your church? And he's like, oh, you know, every, I, I, I they're they're just going to tell me they've done their time and blah blah blah. And I said, well, even if that's true isn't there a way to win their hearts back? And so I asked Larry because Larry does so much with, with grandparents and and everything and has such a fantastic ministry. And I, so I said, what do you, what do you say? Because I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm believing that we've got to get more engagement from, from all generations and the research even shows that too, um, how powerful intergenerational discipleship can be. And, and he just said, you know, a lot of these, these senior adults have just lost the, the vision for it and they've lost connection. And so you have to give, you have to invite them back and you have to let them know they're welcome and that it's okay if they don't want to be the, the, the dancing fool on stage, Mm -hmm. um, which I'm not calling anybody that's on stage fools. Don't, 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 don't go crazy on me folks, but, but you know what I mean? They they don't have to jump around. They don't have to be the crazy, 
but you know, just to be there. And, and I thought, you know, that's so true that, you know, for parents, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we have to let them know that we're here for them. And, and we have, we have to be, I agree with you. We have to be the ones to move first. Um, I I, I do. And I, and I think, I think we, we've lost the art of winsome storytelling. Like, mm. like look at Jesus, like one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Matthew uh, 13, 44, where, where a man finds a treasure hidden in a field. And then it's so valuable that he goes and sells everything he has so he can buy that field. You know, like let's be winsome storytellers to tell stories about today's kids to evoke empathy and compassion that's going to cast vision where where people in your congregation are like yes. how can i sit on my hands and do nothing so that's so therefore I, if i were if i were in on a local church staff i would be figuring out i would be brainstorming with my team how do i build a bridge to my pastor so that my pastor can help us cast vision in our congregation that to me an announcements about we need volunteers that's okay that's utilitarian but okay. if we tell stories and if we tell success stories of, of, you know, Shelly, who is sitting in the congregation and never participated, and all of a sudden she learned about a need and she made connections with kids and she got involved and she discovered the power of it. And here's what, how God used that in her life. Like, like that story is going to cause other people to go, wow, that could be my story. You know, yes. so uh, I, I think if we could become winsome storytellers, we can get to that community building and equipping piece like we were talking about a minute ago. Oh, man. I totally agree. I would much rather see leaders investing in the time to record those stories. And there are so many little tools out there where you could send a request and have somebody record one of your small group leaders recording how impactful it is to be a small group leader and, and sharing those stories and, and then sending those to your pastor. I used to send my pastor stories um, of little victories that we had because I wanted him to have lots of things that he could talk about in children's ministry and bring up in his messages. And, and he would do that. And that was one of the best recruitment tools I ever had was just hearing what was going on in the children's ministry and that things were going and, and life was hap- life change was happening. And, and I think that's, that's a powerful thing. And what you're saying is we, if we can, you know, if you just start working with a few parents and bridging that gap with a couple of them and win them over so that they have a story to tell other parents how powerful that can be to move that needle to get more parents saying, I want that for my family too. I want to be involved in this. I want to do this with my kids. I want to see my children grow that way because every parent wants to see their child, you know, succeed spiritually and grow spiritually. Um, I think that's, that's a powerful boy. That was the gold nugget right there. Um, I mean, you've given me a lot of gold nuggets today, but that's that one. I hope lots of people catch on to, um, real quick. So, well, I know you're busy and I I only, I've got one more question for you to kind of wrap this all up is, is moving forward. What are some things, um, there's a great conclusion in the book of, of some ideas, but what are some things that, that you feel like we need to change or do or start the, some of the questions new questions we should be asking so that we can see resilient discipleship happen. I I would have conversation with my pastor about two things, two things. Uh, You know, that passage in the Bible, is it David and Nathan where Nathan tells a winsome, compelling story that gets Nathan, Nathan tells a story gets Mm -hmm. David to realize, Oh my gosh, it's me, you know? So I would tell, I would get some time with my pastor 
tell a compelling story that gets my pastor's heart to open to, to, to trust me and say, hey, can we have a couple of key conversations here? There's two conversations. The first one is change the language. The second one is change the question. So the question, the, the language that I think we need to change, I, I would find a way to get my pastor's heart open to changing my title from children's ministry pastor or, or, or Kidman pastor or whatever to child discipleship pastor. Or we're going to call our part of the ministry children's ministry, and we're going to move it from children's ministry to child discipleship. Here, here's why. Children's ministry can mean a lot of things. It can mean, uh, it can mean uh, child care. It can mean babysitting. It can mean plug and play, which, which, by the way, most of us, that's not what we're all about. Clearly, right. that's not what we're all about. But uh, in a post-Christian, highly secularized culture that's rapidly aiming to form our kids, we need, a, we need a more specific target to aim for, and child discipleship is a more specific target. So I would at least open up that conversation with my pastor. Yes. What if we shifted our thinking, even if we don't change the language, but shift our thinking from children's ministry to child discipleship? The second thing I would do is I would change the question. You know, we, we tend to ask the question, how can we get more families to church or how can we grow our children's ministry? I would change the question to what can we do that leads to lasting faith in kids? And by the way, that question, if we pursue that question and we, we go all in on wiring our children's ministry to answer that question, I think our ministries are going to grow because families in your community and you're in, in around your church are looking for a church that's going to do a great job at discipling their kids. So if we figure out how to be more faithful, how to be more effective mm. at discipling kids, you're going to grow your church. I'm, I'm telling you, every church is every, so many parents are looking for a place that's going to disciple because they're concerned about what's happening yes. in the around us. It reminds me of when Truett Cathy, the, the, the legendary story of him pounding the table and saying, I'm tired of everyone talking about getting bigger. We need to be talking about getting better. Because yes. if we get better, our customers will demand we get bigger. We've got to move the question from how do we grow our children's ministry to how do we form children with lasting faith? If we do that, I genuinely think we're going to grow. Amen. I, I do believe that's true. I really do in my heart. I think that's the kind, I mean, and that's the kind of thing I walked away with after this research um, is, is we start asking those kind of questions um, and really looking at, are we seeing this life change happen? And that start measuring the right things, assessing the right things so that, you know, and, and it's going to lead us, I think, to cutting some of the things we've been doing, which is not a bad thing because so many of our leaders are, are spent, um, doing too much, you know, and, and, uh, this will, this less is more basically and simple scales. You know, I, I truly believe that intentionality, intentionality. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Intentionality. That's a better yeah. word. Cause I think some people think, Oh, and you're talking about saying doing less. No, I'm saying, I'm saying what you do is going to have total intentionality and power oh, yeah. behind it. What, what we're not saying is programs are the problem. We're, we're saying right. design your programs, whether that be VBS, large group, small group, Sunday school, children's church, whatever, like design those programs to achieve the objectives of highly relational, deeply yes. scriptural, truly experiential. You could, you could just about take any program, design it to do those three things, and you're, you're going to be fruitful with, with the gospel and disciple making. Yeah. I mean, use those three Bs and say, are everything we're doing, does it help? 
take those kids yeah. to those three things. Yeah. To me, if I was a, if I was a, if I was a brand new ministry leader listening to this, that would be my encouragement as a ministry coach to you start right there. Just yeah. focus on those three things yeah. and you will see life change. You will see fruit. Um, you will see growth. Um, I have no doubt. I really do. Um, so if I was starting all over again, <laughs> um, going, taking the, you know, going back, uh, 35 years of ministry that I definitely would be focusing there. And I think, I think we used to, in some ways, there yeah. was a lot of relationship that I remember being in a, in a church where we did a lot of stuff together. We were together a lot yeah. and now we're not together as much anymore. Well, we don't, um, we don't realize how much the digital dis disruption has rewired yes. the way we behave and the way we do and do not engage. And there's travel sports and all these other things yep. that have changed our community living. Yes. So, you know, what, what, what can we do to make sure we're, whether it's getting back to or going forward to really being community oriented and highly relational? Yeah. Well, guys, man, there's so much more Mark and I could talk about, but he's a busy man and leading Awana is no easy task. So pray for him as he does this. And as he digs through all this research, I'm glad it's you, not me, man. Um, you're definitely cut out for that. <laughs> I am not, I'm not the statistics guy, but I sure have learned a lot and it's challenged my heart, even as a ministry coach and as a volunteer in my own church, um, to think a lot differently about what I'm doing. So thank you guys for doing this. Um, for investing all the time and the resources into this project. Um, you've got the Child Discipleship Forum coming up. Um, you want to mention that real fast? Yeah, childdiscipleshipforum.com, or you can Google Child Discipleship Forum. And we've got about 15, 16 speakers uh, coming together in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, on September 23rd and 22nd, 23rd, I believe. Um, and it, it's a great gathering. If you're in children's ministry and you're th these, th this conversation has even been halfway interesting to you, then you're going to love the child discipleship forum. Uh, we're, we're bringing together a lot of the leaders to have these critical, uh, conversations. It's also available online. So if you don't want to come to Nashville or if you can't come to Nashville, uh, bring your team, your, your team can walk, watch online. There's a 30 day uh, replay. So you can watch it from late September to late October. I want to make it as easy as possible for you and your team. That's phenomenal. So we'll put all that stuff in the show notes. Uh, Matt, thanks for making time um, to walk through this with me. Uh, I've yep. been so anxious and excited to, to get into this with you. Um, and uh, I appreciate it very much. So thanks again for, for joining me. Thank you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Kids Ministry Collective Podcast. And again, uh, if you've watched or if you've listened, let us know. We'd love to start some more discussions and have some more discussions in the Kid Ministry Collective Facebook group about this. So uh, be watching. We'll probably host a Zoom call even uh, where we can meet up and, and dive through this as more people are going to get your hands on this research. So I encourage you to go check it out. So thanks again and join me for another episode real soon. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Kids Ministry Collective Podcast. We hope that it's helped and encouraged you. If you would, support our podcast by continuing to share it with other leaders. And if you haven't already, hey, please subscribe and leave us a review wherever you listen to this podcast. We look forward to hearing from you how this podcast has helped and sharpened your skills in ministries. So let us know on your Facebook page or head over to kmccoach.net and share with us there. And thanks again for listening to the Kid Ministry Collective Podcast.